Resurrection is the title of this message, is our victory. And I am, I'm really glad to see you guys. I, I love you. I just want you to know, know that. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts that, that God gives us. And we each have a way that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in us. Some dance, some sing, some raise hands. But what he has manifested in my life is I cry. And it gets aggravating after a while. <laughs> Trying to make a point or whatever, you know. I got up this morning and I had tears. And I don't know why, but I guess I do know why. It's a... It's the power of God within us. I am a follower of Christ because of this day. I could have been a Muslim. I could have been a Buddhist. I was a hippie for a while. I could have been anything. But this spoke to my heart because Jesus Christ is the only one that presented himself to the world as God that did what he said he was going to do. He said, in three days I'll rise, and as sure as I'm standing on this stage, he rose. It's like that, that was a great clip. He is risen. But, but that's why I follow Christ. All these other voices come in from other places, but he and he alone is the only one that defeated death. You look at the major religions of the world, and they're all dead. There's nothing alive in that to a degree. In Buffalo, New York, around the turn of the century, there lived a man by the name of Reuben John Smith. Smith was like some of us. He was fond of the comforts of life. And since he had such a comf comfortable existence in this world, he thought it was proper to prepare for a comfortable existence in the next world. So at his death, he left these instructions to be followed specifically. He was to be buried in a new recliner chair of upholstered russet leather and was to be interred in a sitting position. And on his lap was to be placed a checkerboard. A practical man, Smith, also ordered that he be dressed in a hat and coat and a key to his tomb stuck in his pocket. That's an interesting touch, a key to the tomb. And as far as I know, the key was never moved. So I Googled this. He died, Reuben Smith died in 1899, and the key's still in his pocket. Nikita Khrushchev was premier of the Soviet Union. This story circulated about his death. The Communist Party was, got really upset with Khrushchev, and when he died, they, they, really, they really didn't even want him to be married on Soviet soil. So they called the President of the United States, Richard Milhouse Nixon. And as we know, during this time, he had his own problems to deal with. So then she called, he called Golda Meir, the Prime Minister of Israel. And Mrs. Meir was agreeable, but she added, I must warn you that this country has the world's highest resurrection rate. <laughs> Our text, John 21 through 18. When I read scripture, I, I hope that for that moment that, that you can push everything else out of your mind and just 
get this word picture of this scene. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. The other disciple outran Peter and got there first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. Then the other disciple also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't realized that the Scripture said he would rise from the dead, and then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting in the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying, the angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing beside her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned toward him and explained, teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them the message. So the time was Sunday morning just before dawn. The setting, a garden not too far from where Jesus had been cruelly crucified. And those of you that's been to Israel, you, you get that picture. It, it, they were cl- everything was close together. It was a garden. In the garden was a tomb freshly hewn from rock. A giant stone had once sealed the sepulcher, had been rolled away. And some grief stricken women made their way to that lonely spot. And of these women, Matthew identifies only Mary Magdalene. But the other gospels include Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, and Salome. Undoubtedly, the silence of the night and the solemnness of the occasion caused them to move quietly toward the place where their Lord's body had been lain. They had brought spices with to anoint him. We who involves most of us have lost people to the grave. You can't explain in words what that feels like till you're in that situation. They were in total grieving mode. I doubt if they spoke a word on the way. And it must have been very disconcerting, perhaps frightening, to discover that the stone had rolled away from the tomb. He was not there, and what did that mean? Had his final resting place been desecrated of grave robbers? Did his enemies fear and despise him so much they had seized his broken body? So the women quickly scattered and went to tell their friends and their family. Mary rushed to inform Peter and John. They hurried back to the tomb with her, but they were mystified as sea. They returned to the safety and seclusion of their homes. All this time, they had, what Jesus had said went over their head. I I think it's like us. Many of us have been in church our entire lives, and we've heard message after message after message about the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in in our lives. 
<laughs> but in daily living, it just, it just goes over our head. It doesn't make a difference, is my point. So they, they had heard these words before. Hey, guys, they're going to kill me. I'm going to let them. And then I'm going to be in the grave three days, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise. Mary was alone now after the guys had left with her grief, and she stood weeping quietly outside the door of the tomb. In vain desperation, she stooped and allowed herself to look in the burial vault. And imagine her dismay. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have lain him. As she said this, she was conscious of a man standing beside her. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Mary thought this was the gardener. She said with a deep anguish in her voice, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have lain him, that I may reclaim his body. And as she said this, the stranger softly called her name, Mary. The sun, perhaps, was just beginning to peep sleepily over the nearby Judean hills at this precise moment we don't know. Her eyes were tear-swollen, combined with the pre-dawn darkness would explain Mary's failure to see it was Jesus immediately. Undoubtedly, however, when he called her name, there was sunrise in Mary's heart, and she exclaimed, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. A sudden urge of emotion swept over her, and the first thing she wanted to do was grab him and hug him. Tradition has painted Mary Magdalene as a woman of the night. Whether this is so is a matter of speculation, but what is not speculation, however, that Mary's devotion to this humble Jewish rabbi was real. Jesus stopped her and said, I haven't ascended to the Father. He was in his glorified body. Mary Magdalene will have to be content to hold Jesus in her heart, and that's what she did. And she would later testify to the disciples, I have seen Jesus. So we asked when we go over this story what this has to do with us. That's the big challenge in life as God has called people to preach. It's application. I could stand and tell you story after story after story of what the scripture says, and we need to do that. But the crux of the matter in our lives is how does this apply to me? Are there empty tombs in our lives to which we may be peering into with a sense of helplessness and despair? Finally, is there a sense in which each of us can come through a crisis of doubt and uncertainty and be able to proclaim victoriously? I have seen the Lord. I was this close to death. I was in this situation. But I have seen the Lord. It, that, that's, that's the difference. We should note, first of all, the sense of hopelessness that had enshrouded those who followed Jesus after his crucifixions. If actions speak louder than words, those first disciples made it abundantly clear that they didn't believe anymore that Jesus came to help them and was the hope of the world. 
And we look at Resurrection Day. It's a day of bright colors, uh, enthusiastic worship for us, and joyful music. We cannot appreciate the resurrection unless we understand that, that the first Easter was born in total darkness. Maybe it might even have been as foggy as it was really early this morning. You, you sense that hopelessness in them. That they believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had come to deliver Israel. They were sick of the Romans. They were sick of their oppression. I, I, the, the closest thing I can get is, 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 is in Haiti. We first started going to Haiti. UN's down there. They're everywhere. UN troops everywhere. And they have their own little compounds, their own little fortresses built. And I asked a Haitian about the UN presence. He says, they are here to go to the beach and to mess with our women. It's not the same, but you, you can almost connect the dots on that. When you have this oppression, this powerful force in your country that you don't want to be there and actually shouldn't be there to a degree, but nonetheless, a lot of Jews put their hope in Christ that he was going to eradicate the Romans from their land and they could be totally free. Didn't happen. Now where was he? He was laid in a borrowed grave with a great... Gash in his side from a spear. His hands and his feet were disfigured with the mark of nails. His brow was a tangled mess of hair and blood where the crown of thorns once mocked his supposedly kingship. His back, a terrifying grid work of open wounds from the 39 lashes. One would not want to see an animal die this way, much less a human being. There was no dignity in it at all. Part of the shame of crucifixion is you are crucified naked. As the soldiers jeered and spit upon him, where were those 10,000 angels his disciples had believed could come at his beck and his call? His followers abandoned him and was hiding behind coward, do coward behind closed doors. Their emotions, a mixture of cynicism and despair. Their great hope was completely shattered. Perhaps you've been there, or maybe you're, you might be there this morning, behind a closed door of despair and depression. Many good people have been there, and there are way too many people in this world that have no hope. I was reading about a young lawyer who descended into the valley of despond, Things were not going well for him, and they were going poorly. And his friends were so concerned about him that they kept all knives and razors away from him from fear of an attempted suicide. In fact, he wrote this in his memoirs. I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall be better, I cannot tell. I fear I shall not. The young lawyer who unleashed these desperate feelings of utter hopelessness, his name was Abraham Lincoln. And we know the rest of his story. The two nights following Jesus' crucifixion had to be the longest nights that those who loved Jesus would ever endure. I think the vast majority of us, maybe not the younger ones, we've all had long nights just like this. And we have been in situations perhaps that we didn't know if the morning would come or not. And we've heard these words, 
from the doctor. I'm sorry, it is malignant. Stage four. There is nothing we can do. Phone call in the night. Mrs. Jones, there's been an accident. Could you come to the hospital? The words of your accountant or your banker. Bill, if you sell your assets now, you might be able to recoup part of your investments. Otherwise, you stand to lose everything. A parent to a young child. You know, dear, mom and dad's not getting, getting along so good lately, and we've decided to try living apart for a while. Many of you have had your own dark night. And I could stand and tell you of some of the dark nights that I've been involved in your dark night. The problem is when I start telling those stories, I get to, uh, I get to cry and I lose control almost, but you get my point. If we just think about what's happened and transpired in the last 20 years since Diane and I have been here. Easter was not born in the brightness of the day. The, woman came, the women came to the tomb while it was still dark. We need to know that help is closer than we think. The darkness of the moment and our tear-swollen eyes blind us to a friend who was standing quietly in the shadows nearby. And softly he asks, Woman, why are you weeping? Sir, why are you in such despair? And after he listens to our many complaints, he whispers your name. Mike, Bill, Tracy, Karen. And we recognize that he's been there all the time. He is not dead. He is alive. Christ is alive. And we discover that the sun rises again. The birds sing and joy finally starts to creep back into our lives. And hopefully we realize that with Jesus Christ help, it's always going to be all right. My friend Tom McClanahan brought an interesting point up to me as we squilled coffee in the newsstand. He said, you, you pray for people that's in the hospital or sick. And then you pray about the glories of going to heaven. <laughs> you see the difference? Why don't we just pray that they go to heaven? It's because we're selfish in that sense and we want to hang around them. We want them, we want them with us. I, I think that's a great point, Tom. It really, it really made me think. On the dark night that we thought Steve was going to die, I was in this quandary. Man, oh man, he's, he's, he's got this chance to go to heaven now at this young age. But there sat my daughter, nine months pregnant. I said, man, that baby needs a dad. Well, you know how the story ended, whatever. But the, I don't think we can grasp heaven. That's what it is. We, we can't grasp the glories of heaven. So my wife, who's a lot smarter than I am, gave me has given me this advice before. The best thing to pray in crisis is God's will. Because that's really all that matters. My will doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter what I want or how I want things fixed. 
Because if I was in charge, things would be different, but they're not. They are what they are, and we pray for the will of God to be done, whatever that might be. And you and I have to, in faith, learn to accept that. All of nature speaks of such possibility. The rhythm of nature declares not only the glory of God, but the victory of life over death. It's what I've said a thousand times since I stood up here on this stage. Someday, God's going to stop this heart. All he has to do is squeeze it, and I'm out of here. And as Diane said, they're not going to cremate me, which I don't have a problem with, but they're going to put me in a box, take me over, probably over into Bean Cemetery in Clark County, Illinois, and throw me in a hole and come back to the church and eat potato salad. <laughs> That's going to happen. Oh, Eddie's not going to be in that box. I'm going to be in heaven. And that's what I want for all of you as well. Life over death. Hope over despair. Light over darkness. Joy over fear. That remarkable naturalist Lauren Isley once put it beautifully. He said that we live in a world where even a spider refuses to lie down and die if a rope can still be spun to a star. And don't we love spring? Full blossom. Everything's coming alive. The bud appears on the trees and the flowers, and it seems for a season of lifeless in the winter and drab, God whispers to us, you can make it through. I am nearer than you can imagine. I will not let you fall. You have to trust me. Tristram Bernard, the French novelist, was interned with his wife by the Gestapo during World War II. The time of fear is over, Bernard told his wife when they were arrested. Now comes the time of hope. Hope for the end of the war. Hope to be released. The poet wrote that hope springs eternal, and it does. Hope is another way in which God whispers our name. As long as you believe that there is an answer, an answer will be found. I can't recall in the scripture an appearance of the risen Christ to an unbeliever. Your greatest ally in the long dark and art of the soul is your faith and is your hope. But Jesus says, I am here, and he says, I will never forsake you. We have to believe that 24-7, that he will never abandon us. It brings us to the final thing we need to say on this glorious Easter morning. The victory of Easter is a gift available to anyone who will receive it. The New Testament was written by Jews before they'd met Christ didn't believe in a resurrection. They believed that when you're dead, you're dead, and that's the end of it. But because of their experience with Christ, these first Christians knew that a gracious, loving God grants eternal life to anybody who will receive it. The gift that he longs to give you and I, and as we think about life in Christ, it's a I'd like to see it as this. It's a life of fulfillment, of adventure, of promise. And a lot of times many of us don't live this, but that's on us. 
This is the life that God offers you. There's a terrible story about a man whose wife had a cat, which the man despised. Is, is there any men in here that hates cats? You can raise your hand. It, it, it's okay. I'll still love you. It's like that Mountain Dew commercial says, I'm not a cat person. Well, this cat was always under this guy's feet and always leaving scratch marks on the furniture, always shedding cat hair on the man's pants. And in the immortal words of Wren and Stimpy, cat dirt everywhere. Finally, while his wife was visiting her mom one weekend, this guy takes his cat out and drowns it. His wife was in hysterics, as you can imagine, when she returned to find her cat gone. So to comfort her, the husband made the grand gesture of taking out an ad in the newspaper and offering $1,000 for the cat's safe return. A friend hearing about the man's offer said, man, you're crazy. That's a huge reward to offer for a cat. The man smiled and replied, when you know what I know, you can afford to take the risk. most remarkable story in all of history, the change that took place in the lives of those early Christians after their encounter with the risen Christ. They became absolutely fearless and unstoppable. It is God's free gift to all who will receive it, and we want people to know what we know, don't we? We don't have a clue what heaven's going to be like, but we know it's going to be grand. And we want as many people to go with us as we can, actually. So this morning, as you think about your life, I don't want you to think about anybody else's life. I just want you to think about yours. Are you, you peering into a tomb, an empty tomb? There's a friend closer than you think, and he is calling your name, and he offers us this abundant eternal life. That he doesn't promise that your life will be a, a circus or a party the rest of your days, but he promises that you, he will be there with you, holding your hand to lead you through it. You know, like I said, I could, I could tell you some stories that it, it, it just about rips your heart out, but because of Christ and his power, he got them through. I repeat myself a lot. I realize that. And for you that love me, and you're probably going to probably get used to it. I, I, I don't, I, I wonder about mentioning people's names from the pulpit sometimes. And when Micah died, I, I've, I've told you this story before. <laughs> Two years old. Mom and dad had praise music playing in the room. And as he was drawing his last breath, they were, they were over there and they were comforting. And here I was. I was supposed to be there to be their strength. Now, I, I fell completely apart. I was sobbing, uncontrollable. Sharon came over and put her arms around me and said, Pastor, it's going to be all right. And he passed, and the nurse come in and said, you folks want to leave 
the room, I'll pull the tubes out of this baby and give him a bath. And Rob said, no, that's my job. I'm his dad. Regardless of what you thought, he had Christ in his heart, and uh, that was the hope that was in him. That he's going to see that little boy again. So that's the offer that we offer you this morning that you can leave this place with Christ in your heart and the hope of abundant life and eternal life when we leave this place. So, Father, we love you, and what can we say? It's beyond our vocabulary what you've done for us and what you continue to do. I pray, Lord, if there be anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that they might embrace you before they leave. They can do it right where they sit or where they stand by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you in my life, and I please forgive me and be my Savior and my Lord. Or they can come up here and people gather around and pray for them. I just pray, God, that we leave this place this morning with our hearts full of you and nothing else. Thanks for loving us. Give you praise and glory. We ask it in the precious name of Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen.